Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people in D2C, e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So this is series three of 2021 and I'm returning to the agency world. Over the month of August, my guests and I will explore what it's like to grow and navigate a business through the complexities and challenges of an evolving digital landscape. On the first episode, I chat with CJ Daniel Neald, co-founder of Plain Studio. Planes are an agency, but not as you know it, they're a ready-made product team for hire. We discuss how a New Zealander ends up founding a product agency in London, building a reputation when you don't have a portfolio, the realities of no new business, defaulting to openness, and why clients may not need agencies in the long run. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. CJ, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Good morning um, or afternoon. I am, I'm doing very well. I'm actually in isolation in New Zealand at the moment. So it's, um, it's nine, seven in, the, seven in the evening. Um, I don't typically like to ask people what their typical day is. I like to ask what their ideal day is, but I think this is a good opportunity to ask you, what's your typical day at the moment before we get into the, the meaty conversation? <laughs> like, talk me through it. You're in isolation. Are you, are you in a hotel? I'm in a hotel. So the New Zealand government has, um, unlike the UK government, like got their shit together. Um, and they, what? they've had like... <laughs> Justine's got her shit uh, together? Yeah. Um, and so they've got they've got this isolation, like managed isolation or managed quarantine. So when you come back, they, they pretty much put you up in, a, up in a hotel for two weeks. They don't put you up. You have to pay for it. Um, there's a clear distinction there. It's not cheap. But um, yeah, it's... And you... <laughs> it's kind of like um a really nice prison i guess yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. so <laughs> and it, so how does it work with like food and stuff do you like do you, are you allowed to leave the room or are there some sort of like sort of system where you order stuff and people bring it to you um yeah you just get like a knock on the door three times a day and they bring you a meal and the food's been pretty good actually um so yeah it's it's been the food's been really nice and they just drop it off and you're allowed, you're allowed out. You can go outside once you've, you get a COVID test on day one and on day three. And then if you pass those two, then you can go, they've got a roof booking here. I'm in central Auckland at the moment. So there's no like outdoor space except for on the roof. So you can book onto the roof if you want, but I haven't been able to do that because I'm not working. They don't have the roof open in the middle of the night, unfortunately. <laughs> So I've been in my room. <laughs> oh, mate. And, and what about like exercise situations, stuff like that? Are you doing like loads of sit-ups or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heaps of prison workouts. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Hold it. Uh, all right, let's get into the, the kind of more formal conversation. I want to know how a New Zealander ends up founding a product agency in London. Talk me through it. Certainly not by design. Um, I... I moved over to the UK um, six years ago. I left, I was actually in the Air Force in New Zealand um, and I left, um, my girlfriend really wanted to live in London. I didn't really have any 
kind of <laughs> any idea what I wanted to do. So we moved to London um, and I didn't know anything about product or software development or anything remotely of that nature, but I knew I wanted to work in startups. Um, and so I, when I got to London, I was, I started working in a restaurant and I managed to like through complete, complete like fate. One of the guys that was working at the restaurant was leaving to work at a startup. I kind of just like hassled him and hassled him and maybe two or three weeks after he joined, I got an interview there. And then I started working at the same startup. Um, I was employee number three and the, it was a, it was a business that provided, it was sort of like Uber for waiters and bartenders. And so we, they had an, we had an app and a, and a web app. And um, when I started with one developer, um, Henry, who's my co-founder now. And so, yeah, that was kind of my intro to startup world. And while I was there, I, I joined in an operations role and I ended up, as the business grew, um, I kind of ended up like jumping around as you kind of can in those environments. And after a couple of years, I was um, running the product team there. Um, so that's how I found out about like the world that I'm in now. Um, and then the insight we kind of had is that we we just saw that people were building, who were trying to start products were going to sort of like older more traditional, I guess, digital agencies who were doing things, build, they were building apps kind of the way that you build like a website, really like sort of waterfall and they'd have this like long protracted build phase and people mm. didn't really see anything for kind of months. Um, and then at the end of it, they'd be like, cool, here's the thing that meets your brief. And um, <laughs> it doesn't matter that the world's changed. Yeah, spend yeah. Money, so if you want to change anything, too bad. Um, and we were like, surely there's a better way to do this. Um, so we, so we started our own agency and that was, that was it. And, and talk me through, so, so how did it go from that kind of initial ethos to starting? Were you guys kind of doing stuff sort of, uh, I suppose on the side and then that morphed into like, uh, I suppose it becoming your main thing. Like, was there a, was there an inflection point there where you kind of had to make the call and what did that look like? Um, yeah, they definitely was i think um yeah what was the inf- what i don't people uh, yeah i don't we sort of just were like oh we should just try this <laughs> it was it was not really like it wasn't really any like big sit down and build out a business plan or like weigh up lots of pros and cons i think um we were both like Henry and i were both pretty ready to you once you've spent we'd, we'd been at rota for like almost three years now we'd rebuilt the original platform so we'd kind of just been solving the same problems for the last wee while and um we yeah and we and the business had sort of grown and it wasn't like we, we sort of felt like we'd done as much as we could there um and this was an exciting opportunity we're like well there's, we can see that there's people out the demand out there and um, there's people wanting to do this um why don't we just give it a go? I guess Henu being a um he was a he's a developer, so he there's pretty limited downside for him. Like if it didn't work, um then he could just go and contract again and make yeah. Bitcoin in London. And then um for me I was at the point I, I'd been in London for two years and um I was kind of like, well if it doesn't work I'll just go back to New Zealand anyway. So what's the there's no harm in trying, I guess. Okay, so if, if one's starting a new business, ensure that there's low downside risk and just do it. Is that the is that the advice? Yeah, I think and I think <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I I think particularly sort of early in your career, there's not. I reckon the worst position you're ever in is kind of the one that you're in now. If you're thinking about starting something, 
presumably you've got a job and you've got like some kind of, I mean, even if you've just started your job and you've only been there six months, the very worst position you're going to be in is like finding another job that's kind of exactly like the one that you've currently got. Um, and if you don't try something, then you're just going to be forever wondering. So yeah, yeah, that's classic sort of like situation. It's so funny that um, in the a couple of podcasts ago in my um, uh, series on food and drink and direct consumer food and drink, I touched on this with one of the the guys there, Fion, and we kind of talked about the idea of like a good way of thinking about it is well what's the worst that can happen <laughs> you know think about like the absolute worst and okay i think i can handle that and then therefore there's a good place to start you know and it's kind of similar like if, if you're in a, a current environment or position you've obviously gotten to that point so there's your baseline so one could assume you can do that again and so if you can you can go and take a bit of risk on top of that then that's not a bad place to be yeah and i mean when i got from for for us like when we got to london i was I was working in a restaurant and I was like, I can always go and get another job in a restaurant like that's, And I actually, I actually did. I was, I got another job while I was working at Plain for a while in the cafe, not because I wanted to, just because I missed working in hospitality, but yeah, there's, there's always like, there's always work out there um, if you really need it. So yeah, that was it. <laughs> I, I felt, I, and I guess I'm a, that's like a, a fortunate position to be in as well. I don't think everyone's necessarily the same and I don't have like, I don't have any debt or any kids or anything like that. So it's a, it's particular to my life stage, but yeah, that was sort of that. That was sort of our philosophy is like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, totally. And and I, I think we, we, we probably come at it from a, a relatively privileged position, right? Like there's so many people that don't have that safety net of, you know, kind of generally <laughs> sort of world that we grew up in. So there's obviously always a, 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 a lens there, but um, I think that's a pretty interesting way of approaching it. I want to touch on the first kind of like few months and year at Plains. Like, so there was relatively limited downside risk. And you guys are like, fuck it, let's just do it. <laughs> like, how did it plan out? Like, did things go to plan? Was there a plan? Did they not go to plan? Talk me through like the first stages. Um, it wasn't really a plan. So, <laughs> so that means it did not go to plan, I guess. Um, I guess the first 12 months was we found, we, we moved into um, a WeWork. So the first thing we sort of did, I, I was working, um, I, had a, I finished at Rotor. A little bit before Henry did, so I had probably like a couple of months where I started trying to like pedal our wares and sort of meet people and figure out like what we needed to do. And once um, Henry finished Rotor and joined me a couple of months later, we got an office and we work in that. In a where that was actually quite like fundamental in us finding our first couple of clients. So we we met people um, in the space who wanted or needed what we were doing. Um, which wasn't part of the plan, it was, but we just wanted to move into WeWork because we'd worked in them before and it was like a good setup and we they had a great summer party at the time. So we, we, had, <laughs> we wanted to go to that again. Um, and it was like, it was obviously really easy and convenient. Um, but there was, with, uh, there was a network there of people that we could like kind of tap into as finding work. So um, I guess when you start, what you have to do is you're kind of buying reputation um, in a way. And we had a few people that like kind of like mentors, I guess that, um, or people that had done similar things before that we could talk to. And that was what they'd said as well. Like you need to expect the first like 12 to 18 months. It's, you're just, you don't have a portfolio. We don't know who you are. Mm. So 
you might have to do like whatever work you can for you know almost like for free um so that's sort of what we did we, we weren't working for free but we definitely weren't like making lots of money and we and every project we did kind of allowed us to like level up from the project before um uh so yeah i mean that's that was that was kind of what, and it's sort of just been like that progressively through like the next project we do is always like a little bit of a step up from the one that we've just mm -hmm. done mm -hmm. um, and as we've gone through that we quickly hit the limit of our like skill set so we hired um, a few designers i'm oh, sorry we hired, yeah, we hired a couple of like designers that were sort of like part-time to help us out and then we hired a couple of developers um and things were all going like pretty well and then it was probably probably would have been about a year and we um hit our, the first like kind of like downturn in work and all of a sudden we were like fuck we don't know how we're going to keep all these people employed <laughs> and um that went on for like maybe a, a few months and we didn't have any like cash in the bank at that stage so we had to let um we had to let almost everyone go i think we had, we had like three people full-time at that stage and one part-timer um and we just didn't have any work to pay them so um we we, yeah, we had to like let them go which sort of was a harsh like reality to starting this sort of business i think especially early on um and it's always like probably that's that's the, that's the thing where you start yeah i don't know if you feel quite like if the yeah you feel very responsible for that obviously and it's like all oh, it's your fault in a way that this person now doesn't have a job um and did you so, go, did you how did you what were your kind of thoughts and decision making around that time was it kind of like oh shit we need to figure something out or did you just kind of did things just have to play out and yeah what 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 did you kind of like do differently from that stage because obviously that's you know quite a big inflection point <laughs> compared to where you guys are now um i mean we so going into that we we were we've always been like really open about the state of like the business and where we are so it wasn't a surprise to people it wasn't like people were it wasn't like all of a sudden we came in and we're like sorry guys like you all got to go we, we gave people probably had like seven or eight weeks notice that yeah. it might be happening um and so seven or eight weeks out we said okay we haven't got any more projects like this one that you're all working on is kind of coming to a close or it's going to be winding down like i think what was happening is we'd finished two projects at about the same time and then they were going on to more like they weren't the, our involvement was a lot smaller all of a sudden like we could we could handle it with like just one developer instead of all the people that we had um, and we hadn't found any more work so we we were just sharing updates with people like every day kind of and we said you know that the what is going to have to happen is we're going to have to like if we had the four weeks we had a date where we knew we'd be in trouble and we worked backwards from there like four weeks out from that to be able to give them their like contracted notice period and we said like on this date four weeks out we're going to if we have if nothing's changed then we're gonna to have to like give you your notice but obviously we're still going to keep looking for work so up until the day we can't keep paying you which is whatever the day is we're still going to be looking for work and if we find work on that last day and you still want to stay like you the job's there for you but we just we just need to make sure you're aware of like how we're tracking where things are um and then we just did everything we can to try and like help them find other work as well at the same time so we like put them in touch with all the people that we kind of knew um we vouched for them we like let them go and take off all the time they needed to go and do interviews and that kind of stuff as well because um yeah we didn't want people just like kind of end up in a lurch and did any of those people come back like kind of once the, the ship got back on track 
Um, no, nah, it was probably, it was like, I think that was in a bit in like August or September and it was probably, it was probably four or five months after that until it was like back roaring again. Yeah. So by that stage, they'd gone and like found other jobs and, and kind of moved on, um, which was, yeah, which is kind of part of it, I guess. Um, so the what's the state of play now since that time like where where are you guys at like what does the team look like in terms of you know people on the books and 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 working with externals and all that sort of stuff um so we have um we're at 24 people i think now um so it's been like a bit of a big turnaround um and that's probably of that we're probably about 50 50 with contractors and full-timers um so we had ever, ever since that, I guess you're kind of like once bitten, twice shy sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we after after that when we started when we started winning projects, we just we would just staff them up with contractors. So we've always we've pretty much always had um yeah, always pretty much like just be full time like freelancers for most of the projects. And it's only really been in kind of the last like I mean, yeah, probably in the last in the last twelve months, we've we've we, um, maybe a little bit more than that now. Eighteen months, we've had people who were we, we hired a few full time people. So particularly, like all of our product managers are full timers. Yep. Um, we've got a, a full time designer now as well. Uh, we've got a few full time developers, and we're starting to um, like recruit more full timers now as we've become more confident in our ability to like maintain a particular size and as we've like figured out how these things work as a and we so we'll but we'll always have this like contract of flux part of it um because it's it gives just gives us that flexibility and we've been really lucky to i mean you if you walked into the studio you wouldn't be able to tell me who was a i i don't even know who our contractors are and who our full-timers are it's kind of just a it's it doesn't really make any difference to us um in terms of the way that we operate but they're just it's just another way of like managing the commercial arrangement between you and i want to switch gears slightly and just talk about like the process so how does it go from kind of like at the moment idea to kind of shipped product like talk me through an example of you know like a a recent sort of project like how do you guys work um so we work the same way that we sort of work like the same principles that we had back when we were running our own product team so we we come in like a, as a cross-functional team and we work best when we're involved, like from the kind of like very start all the way through to delivery and offboarding. Um, that means that we'd have like, normally our products or projects would have like a product manager, at least one designer and probably two developers. And then obviously that will scale based on the, the roadmap and the size of product and what the ambitions of the client are. And we, yeah, we so we. I mean, one we're working on at the moment. We had a um, um, a uh, like a it's a it's a skincare brand. I, yeah, so skin skincare brand. They've or they're launching a skincare brand, and they um, want to build like a product alongside this as well. And so we help we help like figure out what that looks like. We're helping like this understand like what the users might use and how this might be interesting. It's not actually a transactional part of the piece. It's like a it fits alongside the selling, so it's more like 
it's it's more kind of like value add and brand advocacy yeah rather yeah. than like buy more of my thing yeah um, and so we've helped we've helped we've done like the user research and gone out and spoken to like an incredible network of, of kind of potential customers in the space um we've run design sprints on that on these like particular problems within the space to figure out which ones are most viable and going to have the most value um run through the prototyping and design phases of it as well so we now have an idea of like a roadmap and we've got these like phase releases where we're going to be launching like a kind of an alpha and then a beta and then like a pre-launch launch and then a launch as well so it's like very kind of scaled and like bit by bit and like to smaller and then like slowly increasing large numbers of people to make sure that the feature set and the things that we're doing make sense and also to make sure we're not building everything we need or we think we need at the start because as we know like the more you think that you know, the less you actually know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's uh, uh, we always the mission for us is always to try and get something into people's hands as fast as you can and um, get as far away from like opinions and assumptions and as close to like data and feedback um, in the shortest time possible. And so what? So we're we're in the build phase of that now. What will happen is we'll like run through these different releases and then um, constantly iterating on it. So we'll like launch it to say I don't know. 100 people see what their feedback is and use that to inform the next kind of phase and releases and we'll be releasing probably like weekly from that point onwards and then once we've gone like live to the world with it um we'll what we normally do is we'll help the business like um recruit and train and onboard their own product team so that they mm -hmm. don't need us anymore mm -hmm. so like we'll be doing trying to do ourselves out of a job as well um, <laughs> but that's an interesting model right so how have you guys how, how does that work then like because i'm thinking that a client is going to love you guys right hence why you've got great clients and you've worked with them for a very long time and it's kind of a slightly i mean in theory it makes a lot of sense right like look we're not here as your team you want more control we're going to give you the blueprint we're going to build the you know the the the, the initial thing and then by doing that you can identify or we can identify together what sort of talent expertise you're going to need and we're going to kind of like replace ourselves out we're you know we've got a great team on the suspension they're going to come in and play the rest of the game for you but how does that like work out in reality are clients receptive to that are they not like where are their challenges how does it work um, yeah, generally they are. I mean, I the coming from the sort of like the startup background that we have, we I, I and I guess the personality types we are. I can't really stand here and say that I think you should have an agency forever all the time. Yeah. Because with the businesses we work with, that's not the case. It's not often we're doing like a campaign piece that like lives for a few weeks and then vanishes. We're normally like building something that's integral to the business. Um, whether it is the business itself and the whole thing gets focused around this or it's sits alongside an existing revenue stream and it kind of augments it or whatever. And so in order to do that product and like product development and design and delivery has to become part of the organization. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to, but the most cost efficient way and the best way for them to retain IP and to like increase the value of their business is generally for that to become like an owned part. Mm -hmm. And, but the place where like it really makes sense to use an agency is at the start when you don't know yeah. or, or when you're in a hurry to get something to market because we have a team that's like ready to go. We've like made a whole lot of mistakes already on other projects or other like, you know, we've seen a lot of other stuff that's already happened. So 
we have a lot of lessons that come along with that. Um, and we have a team that we know that like work really well together. And so, but the, you know, kind of the, the, the idea is that by the time you had like gone out and hired your own team and gotten together and like got stuff working, we would have already built the first thing and yeah. launched it um, and then be hiring your team in. And so you have, it's all about de-risking it for businesses. Um, so talking about it that way, people definitely get. And most people, when we say that to them through the kind of like initial stages of conversation, they're like, oh, okay, that's kind of like what we were thinking we wanted to do, but we didn't really want to tell the agency we were doing that because <laughs> it was contrary to the model. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so people were definitely receptive to it. Um, the way it works in practice is that we, once we, it becomes pretty apparent early on, first of all, with whether or not like the thing we've built is, has legs. So, um, and that's always the first test, right? Is like, does do does this thing have product market fit and do do like does the business want to keep investing in whatever it is that we've built mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if it does then at the same time you also understand like what the appetite for iteration and growth of this product is and from there you can start to build out a roadmap and normally this normally this lays alongside or with like an investment deck or a pitch deck too yep. where they're like okay cool in the next six months we want to do go to our first hundred thousand users and then the next six months we're going to like launch it like this or we're going to include these features that we're going to open up to this market um so we use that to go okay cool the team you're probably going to need in order to do that is going to be like this size so the the way the way that we would normally we'd like work by building our kind of a recruitment plan or like a a, a, like what we think your team should look like for that and then we work backwards from the end goal to work out which like pieces of the puzzle to put in place first Um, so usually it starts with like a few that we normally are onboard normally d- developers first, like and kind of like mid like developers and then to get them because then you have like kind of the engine room working and you can like be providing them tickets. And then we start with the harder ones are always like the product and the design pieces because it's, it's if they've only got one product manager or one designer in a business, it's a pretty daunting task for someone to go in and, and take over, which is where we have this as an agency, we sort of, have a bit of a, a leg up there because if we have a designer working on a product by themselves, there's still a whole lot of other designers that planes that they can like bounce ideas off. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. An island. So, um, yeah, that's that's normally the more tricky part. But yeah, that's that, that's the way we do it. And we'll, so we'll help like we'll write job descriptions. We'll help run the recruitment process. We'll help like actually go out. We have like a people team at planes that will go out and like find people for you or like a network that we can pull yep. from. Yep. We've actually had, we've actually had like one of our um, projects that we worked on last year, Collectible, which is this really cool app. <laughs> oh yeah. Did they just get some money or sell or something? Yeah, the Collectible app, right? Yeah, they just closed a, um, a Series A. Yeah, They nice. do, just for the, for the listeners at home, they, they're like a fractionalized um, sports collectible platform. So they take really expensive like sports cards so like baseball cards and basketball cards and split them up into shares and then sell them through this platform um so we built their like we built their product for them and then um the they actually ended up hiring um their head of engineering from out out of our team which is something that we like we do as well because it's not like for this in this particular case it was like an awesome opportunity this guy ollie had been working on it the whole time um anyway and like we're definitely not going to stand there and be like oh holly we don't think you should take this great opportunity with this awesome company um so 
yeah, that they, they did that and they're, they're going kind of like from strength to strength now as well, which is awesome to see. How do you mitigate that though? Like, cause of course you don't want to stand in the way of good opportunities, but like what if there's an instance where you've got like not just one person, but maybe the client's keen to take three of them and <laughs> the likelihood, let's be realistic here, probably the clients you're working with, they might be quite big so they can come in with a big wad of cash <laughs> and, you know, some, probably some pretty, pretty interesting benefits and stuff like this. And this is just from my own experience as well with, you know, we're getting people poached left, right and center at the moment. Um, so how do you kind of think about that? Are you just sort of, oh, we'll just, you know, play it case by case, or is that just part and parcel of this? I mean, you're kind of opening yourselves up to this a bit, right. With this kind of, I suppose, getting to a point where the client and you're helping them recruit, they're going to obviously be interested in your guys as well so are you just expecting it and is it just part of the, the sort of model um yeah i guess i guess there's sort of two ways you can look at it like one is you can get like really shitty and grumpy about it and put lots of restrictive covenants in place on both sides to make it super hard but that's a little bit like again not really in line it's just not fair i don't think like if, if there's a and it's it's not just because you'll if, if this business you're working with is offering these people jobs and you can like stop them doing it by saying, oh, you can't poach our team for 12 months or whatever, or there's like a, you know, like the, or, our, you know, there's all these things you can put into contract that you can sometimes see in this sort of arrangement. But if they're trying to do it anyway, their competitor next door that you're not working with is also going to be doing it. And like, and you can't stop them doing it. So you, I think, so if they're going to go somewhere you'd rather if they're, if, if they're going to leave anyway you'd rather them go somewhere that you know and like and like want to see you know like you'd rather them go to your your clients or your partners than someone you you don't know um and i think i don't know like it's it's sort of part of it like if people i yeah i don't know you have to you have to just back the the, the offering you have yourself and want if people want to work with you and like with, with your business like on your team they should want to be there because they want to be there, not because you've made it impossible for them to leave. Um, and if they want to leave, that's like awesome as well. Like everyone's just on a journey. And if you can, you're like, you're, you just serve part of that or a long time of that or whatever. And it's, um, you can only like do what you can do. And yeah, I, I don't know. We just, I don't think it's, it doesn't make sense to be, to make it really hard for people to go and do things that are going to be good for them and good for their careers. And you don't know where it's going to lead and, you don't know what might come in, you know, like they might go and join this company and then go and join another company and then be like, fuck, we really need a product studio. We yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. I, yeah. I think that that's, that's a, um, that's a good way of looking at it. I, I get the, 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 the two ways and the, the restrictive way is may it's kind of short-sighted a little bit, isn't it? It's like, Oh, we don't want people getting pinched right now. <laughs> and so you build in all of this structure to make sure either, I don't know, you're getting like really well remunerated or there's like a, you know, a, a real strict um, covenants clause in there. But ultimately, yeah, I think that's an interesting concept there that the, the, the success of a company is sometimes to like what people in the company do afterwards, you know, and like nurturing that and facilitating that is, is both good for the individual. And then ultimately it's probably good for the company. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you have like these people that you work like, you know, uh, I get to work with like all my friends, so I don't want to make it hard. If there's an awesome job for them to go and do, I'm not going to stop them going and doing it just because it serves my interests. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I think I just find that I would find that like kind of hard to do. But on the other side, like it's not to say that we don't 
we we also want planes to be like a, the most attractive place for people to work at that it can be so we pay you know like well we don't i think we probably pay like you know for particularly for agency world we don't we pay like well we have i mean we have like a for juniors we have we don't pay less than like thirty five thousand pounds a year for any role even if it's your first job out of uni because mm -hmm. you can't live like it's just it doesn't really it's not fair um and people and the, the, the other difference as well though with agency world is like the sort of if you're working with us people come and work at an agency for a particular reason and that's normally because they're like starting projects and they're like mm. changing they're like the variety part of our our whole model is built around the fact that you don't no one really wants to be working on the same thing for like more than 18 months anyway um and but if they decide they do want to go and work on the same thing for longer then we can't offer them that either so it makes sense to go and join one of our like one of our clients who you can go and help them for the next like two or three years improve like whatever it is that we first started with them so yeah i'd love to understand from your perspective um how do you guys measure success when you're working with a client and are there any key ingredients to a successful project um how do we measure success? this is a piece of work we're actually doing at the moment is um our yeah our product teams figuring out like what are our what does good look like from a pro product perspective and we're starting to starting to kind of um i guess score ourselves on this internally for for our products that we build but it comes down to like a number of factors there's there's some sort of like must-haves i think that are almost hygiene factors now when it comes to building products like hey, do you have a design system do you have like do you understand what the problems are and have you mm -hmm. got like a have you got uh, deployment pipelines that allow us to continually like iterate and deploy quickly to production um do we have the processes in place that ensure we're speaking you know like once something's live that we're talking to customers every week like is that are we having at least you know like we're having facetime every week with customers on the on the things that they're using and understanding problems and using that to inform the roadmap um but i think i mean the, the at the end of the day like the actual the output is important but we don't know when you're building a product you don't know if it's going to work or not so i think the successful part comes from like understanding and like being able to trust the process having set the expectations at the start that like no one knows if this business is going to be a success until we launch it and if we it's almost like that when you do launch it and it doesn't work it's kind of a little that that's where you really have to like we test your metal rather than when it does because mm -hmm. when you're either deciding like well is it not working because we did something wrong on the way through it like have we run the process have we not tested something have we not asked the right questions have we not built this the right way are we not positioning this correctly um or is it just there's just not like really any demand here um and then the decision is like okay do we kill it or do we iterate it and try something else or do we like what where do we go from here so I think that's probably more of like how you know like for us the while well, the output's important and it has but it ha has to answer the question so the good part comes from knowing that you've asked the right questions i guess does that answer your question <laughs> yeah 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 no no i think it's i mean i i i, I think it's it's an interesting internal um retrospective uh approach to uh success as opposed to um I think natural liens in the agency world are obviously revenue, um, 
and NPS, right? Like that, that's kind of like, I think they, they're obviously important and good. Um, and they're very binary and easy to measure. So it's, it's, it's a quick win to measure success. But I think that that internal kind of like introspective, you know, uh, product-based, um, criteria is, is an interesting way of, of, of looking at it for sure. Um, yeah, I know. Maybe, we, just on that, I guess like it's for us, like at the end of the, I mean, obviously the, if you launch a product in it, like you, you want, we want to help businesses be successful. That's kind of like, that's the under, underpinning thing here. And yeah, I mean, so the more successful the business is, the more successful the product we've built probably is as well. So that would be like the best success, but it all comes out of like having built the right product in the first place. We haven't touched on it, but we probably need to at least um, discuss it in, in, in some detail. But like 2020, <laughs> how have the team adapted? Anything that you took away? Any trends that you are noticing in the kind of product space? Um, how did we adapt? It was, um, we, we were lucky that we had um, clients at the start of the year that um, still wanted to keep working with us like through the whole year. So we, and the projects that we we're working on, I mean, I think it depended. I mean, it was all definitely again not by design, but complete fluke that we we had projects that became more important for our clients in 2020. So we ended up able to kind of grow a bit um, with those clients um, because the, the businesses we were working with had to serve a, a different audience because they couldn't operate their businesses the way they had been able to. F for us, it was um, a pretty quick transition to like working from home we've always had like a work from where you want yep. kind of policy anyway. So it wasn't like, wasn't a, a shock. I think the hard thing for everyone was not being able to come into the office as yep. opposed to having to work from home. And the, the same as we, we did a survey probably as everyone else did like three quarters of the way through and we're like, okay, we're still paying for this office. Like, should we keep paying for it? Um, and the results overwhelmingly were like, yeah, we want, we want to be able to come in like when it opens up and, that, and we're allowed to. So We've still got our office and people still come in and it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it, but it's been a, definitely a slow trickle back and I don't think it's going to ever go back to the way it will. I think it's, we're going to be in this sort of hybrid work forever, um, which is, and we were talking about this last night actually, like how, how does this impact us and what effect does this have? Because I think creativity we do we do as a business a better job when we can solve the problems together in the room rather than like on a mirror board and mm. through a zone. And there's also a lot of there's obviously all of the social part that comes out of it. There's also the and there's lots of people trying to tackle this um, with technology at the moment. You know, like Slack, for example, has introduced this huddle feature where you can just yeah. like pop into someone's room. But I think the way that people work, I accidentally pressed that the other day. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's quite strange, eh? Yeah, yeah, um, very strange. And it's still not it's still not really the same. I guess the difference between like when you're working at home, people can people work sort of asynchronously. And when yep. you work in an office, you're all like kind of synced up. And I don't think just like being able to huddle into someone when they're at home makes it all of a sudden like you doesn't doesn't kind of flip that switch. It's almost also, also like a little bit more surprising. Like, oh what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> ah. Um so yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I think, um, yeah, I like, I like, I like going into the office when I've got things to do that make sense to do in the office. I like being at home and I've got 
to get my head down and like work on a task that doesn't really involve or require anyone else. Um, I think if, if someone can, the problem we have at the moment though is that when you have like, I don't know, eight or nine people in the office, they're all invariably on like stand-ups at the same time, which are all video calls. Or, so you just have this like cacophony of noise and like people talking over each other. So I don't know how um, we're going to solve that. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You kind of like, it, it's strange because yeah, we're, we're trying to solve the same problem, but like you kind of need when people are in person, they also need to be in their own little bubble. So like if one person is not in the room, no one can be in the room either virtually or, or physically, if you know what I mean, like because yeah, of yeah, the cacophony yeah. <laughs> and like dialing in and, you know, you, you've probably been on, on the receiving end of dialing into a room and you can never hear anyone and it's it's really quite a, a terrible experience but how do you then ensure that there is that kind of team collaboration is it more like does everyone need to be in the room like every day like do you think everyone could be in the room because i get that brainstorming concept it's it's kind of hard to create recreate that online and there's something about the energy in a room when you're problem solving and i don't know even just whatever whiteboarding but like, does that have to happen? Can that happen like quarterly or monthly? Or is it not as simple as that? I, I, th I mean, maybe not as like, maybe not as, maybe not as like scheduled as that, because it generally it's around like points within a project, I guess, where, you know, like you have a kickoff and you want to have a few like sessions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you've got, once you've understood, once everyone kind of understands the problem and the different approaches to like solving it, people can, you know, like people can kind of just like go off on their own workshop, particularly once you've finished once you've designed the first like iteration of something and we're just building it, then it's kind of like no one really needs to talk to each other. Like here's the spec, here's the designs, like here are the user stories. See you in a couple of weeks kind of thing. Um, and, but it's definitely at the start when it's all a bit messy and we don't really yeah. know what's there. And there's like, you know, that's when, I think that's when those little, like those little bits of yeah, creativity and the, bouncing off each other really that you know you kind of get that like coalescence of ideas and that um yeah that huge amount of like momentum that you uh, we've found really you, you can do it like it just it's a lot more draining a lot more tiring and it's a lot harder i think like online than it than it is in the room and it's harder to like go out for a beer at the end of a long day of workshops <laughs> yeah well. zoom beers like, are just not as much fun are they <laughs> <laughs> yeah these like unidirectional conversations yeah it's super strange yeah trying to trying to keep the conversation flowing but then there's also this like it needs to be very formulaic like you can't have people just all chatting at the same time yeah it's it's, it's really interesting um uh, yeah and then the other part you asked was like where where what trends are we seeing in the product space um i mean we've spent a lot of time recently in um around like d to c brands which has been quite cool um, yeah. because it's not necessary it's not something that people necessarily think of, like e-com doesn't necessarily like invoke or like traditional product experiences mm -hmm. but what we're seeing is people wanting to different go beyond like just the transaction and so mm -hmm. how do they how do they use and yeah how do they use digital product and product thinking to um create like loyalty or brand advocacy or um there's kind of like parts that might enhance a product that they might be selling to the con consumers and that's been a, that's been a space that i think i think just probably just alongside the explosion in, in d2c which has also been fueled by covid obviously um as well people are looking for ways to like reduce their lifetime value and to 
um, make themselves stand out. So that's that that's been and, and but those themes continue as well. Like people people investing in their brands and investing in ways of like uh, t- to add more value to their like customers' lives, um, which I guess is kind of like the bread and butter for a product. Couple of final questions. Mm-hmm. What first off, what would you be doing if you weren't running Plain Studio? Um, I when I when I eventually um, I don't know when, but I'm, I'm going to sail from the UK back to New Zealand. So if I wasn't running planes now, I'd probably be I'd actually probably be stuck in Panama on a boat <laughs> because of COVID, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so um, would it would it be pro- pro- professional? Like, is is it uh, uh, professional sailor type thing? Like, as in, or, or would you you you'd be the captain and taking people from place to place, or is it a solo think, type type concept? I think it'd just be a solo type, like you know, sell everything and buy a boat and sail home. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not really a job though, unless you become a youtuber which i definitely don't have i don't have the face for youtube i don't think <laughs> well, you could become a podcaster mate the the, 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 the world's number one nautical podcast podcasting yeah. live from from the atlantic that could be an interesting yeah. idea um, <laughs> exactly exactly and then let's look forward a little bit um it might sort of um feed into the the, the previous question but like what does planes studio look like in 2023 um good question i mean for us we want to we're only we're four years old this year so we're still like very early i think in our journey and kind of finding ourselves um in a weird kind of way (laughs) sounds very like meta but we uh um 2023 we we want to just be doing we want to be building like the best products for the best teams really um we're very good at building products and now it's just about us like building our profile and working with larger clients mm-hmm. to have more impact um we have a team that are like yeah we, we've got a very good way of like operating a very good way of working um and we just want to do that with larger scale larger like impact businesses really i think that's it you, you will have we would have built things that everyone will be using um every day watch this space uh watch this space i think that's a great way to i think that's a great way to end the podcast cj thank you so much for joining me that was great thank you nice to chat there you have a massive thank you to cj for joining me you can check them out at planes.studio before i go a quick word for my sponsor clavio the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and sms messaging if you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download. Also go to my website and sign up to the newsletter and tell all your agency mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.